Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecallendershow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I got a tweet here from Rodney who says, tell Mike to send his resume to ESP Associates. And it is a fir- that that's a legit firm, ESP Associates. I thought it was like, like mind readers. Like some, but it wasn't. It's a, I Googled it. It's an actual firm. So ESP Associates. Um, and here's another tweet from the discussion in the last hour about parenting and uh, you know being being tough on the kids so this way they grow up strong. That's why Johnny Cash's dad named him Sue, from what I remember. Um, you know, you have to get tough or die. Um. So I got a, a tweet here. Pete, you are welcome, Dad. <laughs> uh, and then Melissa says, uh, whether we like it or not, in the past, people went to college for an education and to find a mate. They started adulting with a help meet. Help meet? I don't, know what, I don't know what that means. A help meet? If one wasn't found at college, they found one at work. Now everyone is afraid of everyone else. No wonder they're all crazy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then this was from Russ. Gen Z, working eight-hour shift is so stressful, it's actually killing me. Gen X, I learned how to break into my house at the age of nine using pieces of plastic I tore off of my trapper keeper with my teeth because it was 40 degrees and raining and the folks wouldn't be home for two more hours. <laughs> also, uh, no sympathy for the ones... Uh, Whining on TikTok over military having uh, crappy living conditions and food, and it's physically hard. Look, you're training to kill people and break things while hopefully not getting yourself and your teammates killed. It has to be hard so you will survive. Right. Let me go over here to Jerry. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pete. Um, I just wanted to uh, talk about what you, what the other gentleman said when my son was a junior and senior in high school, those two summers I was a supervisor at a steel company, worked outside in the heat all summer, mm. and um, I made him come out and work with me those two summers. He finally went on to college, got his bachelor's degree, got his master's degree, very successful now, living in Virginia, uh, married with a child, and he called me one day and said, Dad, now I know why you did that to me. And I said, that's right, because you don't need to work like your dad. You're smarter than that. Use your brain and go out and get a job that you enjoy, and it's not work. And um, he really did. I was just proud of my son for doing that. My daughter's a little older, and she runs her own business. Nice. So, you know, my kids, uh, my dad was tough on me. I mean, tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just let my kids be, but I did when they needed corrected. They got corrected, mm-hmm. and um, I, it worked out. It really did. My yeah. kids are not whiners. They're not complainers. They understand what it's like to work 10, 12 hours a day, 
And, um, you know, I'm proud of them. They did a good job. Yeah, well, sounds like you did too, Jerry. Um, and that's uh, that's commendable. And it, it, it yeah, I mean, that's it, that's great. It's a success story. And that's the thing. Like, the the value of hard work, manual labor, uh, as a kid, I, I think is it's uh, it's underappreciated. Um, I mean, my brother and I, we did, uh, I mean, yes, we had to, you know, work in the yard and stuff like that, but we both had uh, lawn mowing businesses, right? We we would go around and cut all the neighbors' lawns for money so we could buy Christmas presents and stuff. And then uh, as soon as we were, well, actually, before we were even legally, legitimately allowed to work, we went to work. We, like, at the age 15, I was washing dishes at an Italian restaurant. And, you know, working at the time, you know, 25 hour work weeks or whatever. And that, yeah, I mean, it, that's what it taught me. And, it, and, and, and I, I then got a skill working in a restaurant that I was able to transfer everywhere I went. I could and when I went to school, I could work in restaurants and I could I could support myself. So that's, that's, that's yeah, right. It's a life lesson. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my first job, I was 13. My dad got me a job cutting grass at a, a cemetery so you know it kind of worked yeah it, uh, it did yeah that's actually and, and not a lot of complaints either uh with that assignment no no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay jerry i appreciate the call man <laughs> that's good stuff all right see ya uh no no it's true um no i'm sure that yes you would have to answer to somebody at the cemetery obviously if you're not weed whacking correctly you know um i got a okay message here to pete at the pete calendar show.com oh from jan who says part-time temp work uh as one of the older gen x people you will meet i understand the grow up and work attitude i got laid off in 2010 i did part-time work for years i finally got a quote real job in july of last year Please note, this email does not end in me needing a drink. But with a real job, I can afford one. (laughs) Okay, good. No, I remember I was telling Bernie, I was on air here at WBT from 9 to midnight back in 2008, 2009, 2010. And so when when the economy collapsed and everything seized up, and um, I, I, I remember it. Very, very vividly. We were selling Christie's house because Christie and I had met and we were dating and then we were engaged and the economy tanks when we're selling her house because we both bought our homes um, the same month, October 2005. And then we met. <laughs> so then, so we then, so we had to sell each of our homes and we bought our new home together, but we were selling her home down in Monroe and the week of closing, like we were supposed to close on like a Thursday or Friday or something. And that was the week that the economy tanked. And remember John McCain canceled his appearance on Letterman or whatever. And he flew back to DC to, uh, you know, to try to figure out how to address this problem or whatever. And I remember this, what we, we would talk with people that, um, that got, Laid off, which I eventually too got laid off uh, because of all of the, in the wake of the uh, the recession and everything. But the uh, people would call in with, you know, looking for work uh, calls, and then people we, we we would connect them with other people that had jobs that they needed filled, 
So, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that that we get to do here. We try to help people. And you know me, I'm a giver. So, like, it's, so if you have a job that, uh, that you need filled, send, send me an email, Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com, and I'll forward you uh, Mike's resume. Um, this is Tony. He says, Pete, I am a Gen Xer. I thought my name was Pick Beans and Get Wood until I was 20. <laughs> but he says I was, th- and I'm thankful for it. Right? It's you know, you realize at some point, uh, as you're you know as you get older that um, like your parents were winging it too. You know, <laughs> they were they like just because uh, just because they seemed like they had all the answers doesn't mean they actually knew what they were doing in all the cases. You know, and so sometimes they were just uh, they were just winging it. This is from uh, Richard. He says, stress, rent, 10 days past due, $20 in the checking account, paydays in two weeks. That's stress. And this is Chris who says, uh, regarding the, uh, the first hour, the bad Christmas song and stressing high beats per minute song. Uh, remember the really bad Christmas song from the really bad WBT duo, Spires and Krantz. I do, actually. There are lots of such cute little Christmas galoots. Little angels and reindeer and snowflakes that try. But from all those Yule underdogs fondling my memory logs, one multiple vertebrae kind of a guy. Sammy the Christmas snake hid in the corner of Santa's workshop. Sammy the Christmas snake bit all the elves and made all the work stop. He did the stockies, he hit up the flu. Bit it on Rudolph till his nose turned blue. Ain't no telling what a Christmas snake will do. Merry Christmas! Sammy the Christmas snake had peppermint stripes and pointy old bangs. Sammy that Christmas snake, he hides in the holly where the mistletoe hangs. Hit in the stockings, he hit up the flu. He bit on old Santa and Mrs. Santa true oh. Sammy that Christmas snake. Merry Christmas. Come on, kids. Sing with me. Christmas dwarf at Santa's house. And no one liked him much since he bit Sid, the Christmas mouse. Till Rick the Christmas mongoose went berserk and tried to wreck. The sleigh and Sammy saved the day when he broke Rick's Christmas neck. Hey, Sammy the Christmas snake. Now there ain't a band on anacondas in the Arctic. Sammy that old Christmas snake. Now those don't chase him with that pork stick. What a merry move. He has all the girls and boys in. Giving out the cheer and holding back the poison. Sammy the Christmas snake. Hey! hey. Merry Christmas! You're welcome. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? The, we started down this path um, in the last hour talking about a piece 
uh, that was at hotair.com. David Strom did the write-up on it, but it's it, he's, he's uh, reporting on and analyzing this Harvard-Harris poll. And it had a couple of kind of disturbing um, findings, results, namely that the 18 to 24-year-old demographic believes overwhelmingly, like 80% of them said, that that they agree with, they support an ideology that says white people are oppressors, non-white people and people of certain groups have been oppressed, and as a result should be favored today at universities and for employment. 80%, 79% said they support that. But then only 51% think that this ideology is helpful to our society. 49% think it's hurtful. So you have this 30% chunk of people in there that 18 to 24 year olds that are like, yeah, this is not helpful for the society, but I support it. (laughs) And what Strom, David Strom uh, said it's like you can call this the Ibram X. Kendi generation versus the MLK generations because the boomers, the Gen Xers, like all of us, um, they're all, we're all of the same mind. No, this is not a good idea. This is hurtful to the society, not helpful. And this is how you end up, by the way, seeing what we have been seeing since October 7th because Jews now are labeled as oppressors by these young people which explains why there's so much anti-Semitism in the schools and on college campuses now. He says it's not an exaggeration to say that our young people have rejected American values because they have. They have. They've been taught to reject these values. A couple of the other, um, yeah, here it is. Uh, Do you think that Jews as a class are oppressors and should be treated as oppressors? Or is that a false ideology? Two-thirds of the young people, the 18 to 24-year-olds, 67% say, yeah, Jews are oppressors. The next age bracket, 25 to 34, false ideology is 56%. And then the numbers go up with each aging cohort. Next question. Do you think that the long-term answer to the Israeli-Palestinian dispute is for Arab states to absorb the Palestinians. So that's your first option. Arab states absorb the Palestinians. For there to be two states, Israel and Palestine, or for Israel to be ended and given to Hamas and the Palestinians. 51% of the young folks say, yeah, that one, end Israel. So when they're chanting from the river to the sea, and everybody's like, well, they don't really know what that means. That's just a slogan. Um, no, it seems like they got a pretty good idea what that means. End Israel and give it to Hamas. Where, And I'm sure Hamas then would not engage in any of the kind of genocide or ethnic cleansing that we saw on October 7th. Of course not. No. What else? Do you believe that Hamas attackers on October 7th committed rapes and other crimes against women, or is that not the case? On this, all of the age demographics agree. They did commit rapes and crimes against women. 
even the young people, 76%. It's not as high as I would like to see, but there's about, a, you know, about 20% in all of the age demographics that they say that's not the case. But half of the kids, 18 to 24, think Israel should be ended while they also believe that Hamas committed rapes and other crimes against women. Like, what have we been teaching? We And not by we, what have they, you, somebody, what, what have these kids been taught? The stratification is pretty obviously due to the adoption of the oppressor-oppressed dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy, right? That adoption is driven by the American education system being run by cultural Marxists. As we have been saying. David Strom at HotAir.com concludes his piece. He says taxpayers are paying for the ideological indoctrination of students into an anti-American, anti-Western ideology. This is perverse and contrary to why we fund education through government subsidies. We are creating anti-Semitic racists, and it is by design. Likely not the design of most of the people supporting these subsidies, but clearly the design of the people who now run our education infrastructure. Fire the administrators, weed out the anti-Western teachers, rebuild the system from the ground up. What we have now cannot be saved, and it is destroying our country. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Like I said during the pandemic, if you were not convinced to get your kids out of the government schools at that point, I'm not sure what else, what else you need to be convinced, you know? They're teaching your kids to hate the society and the people who populate it. And and unless you're fine with that, I, I, I don't know how you keep, I don't know how you keep supporting it. It's not the same K-12 system of our youth. I mean, all these jokes about, like, the Gen X versus the Gen Z. Like, there's always that stuff. It's always going around, you know. Um, but there's, there's truth in that, that there are different experiences sort of in the, in the environment in which you grow up. And uh, there was a – I saw a girl today. She's uh, Gen Z, and she posted a question on Twitter, and some people, st- like, were dragging her over it. But she asked, and it was sincere, she said. She said, I just was curious, like these uh, pay phones. I see them in some of these like movies or old TV shows. And like, were those actually prevalent? Like, were those things all over the place as they are in the movies? Because she has no concept of that. And so some people are like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, you quick Google could find that out and all this. But she's asking, and so people started uh, sharing all these different stories of how pay phones like altered the course of their lives. Like some couple, they met each other at a pay phone, then they got married or something like there were all these different stories around it. And, um, but yeah, like that's, it's just one of those things that it's just a, like a, you know, it's just something that kids now can't have a concept of because it doesn't exist. So they can see it in a movie, but it's not real. It's not like they don't know the like, the, the hacks, right? The way around the, the collect calls, right? The way you could save. Like, so you would collect call. You would dial somebody. You would call collect. And then you would get a recording. You could leave like you're supposed to say and state your name. 
and it would be a recording. You were just you know, supposed to just give your name. But, of course, you'd, you could use that. You could say, pick me up at the bowling alley. <laughs> you know, And then the person receiving the collect call hears you say that, and it's your mom or your dad or whatever, and it's like, okay, got the message. No, I'm not accepting the call. So then you get the free call, and then they would come pick you up at the bowling alley. Why do we say dial a number? Right? Party lines. That was even that was gone before my time. I never had a party line. We had our own phone number. Um, we had a milkman. Do they do that anymore? No. I mean, like, how do you like how do you relay to people that a guy would show up once a week and deliver milk right to your doorstep, put it in a little container, and then and then sometimes he would even you could buy orange juice as well. Yeah. I'm not going to go down the whole, I'm not going to tell the whole story of the skim milk and the whole milk. It's, that's a, for a different time. And it's kind of a painful memory. But, um, yeah, we thought, we, look, we grew up and they thought skim milk was, when we were growing up, they thought skim milk was better for us. Everybody thought skim milk was like the better milk. It's horrible. It's gray water. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to get into it. Kimberly K at LegalInsurrection.com. She's the managing editor of criticalrace.org, okay? Legal Insurrection started their foundation and this work years ago. Um, She says, we have been warning for years about the pernicious and corrosive impact of the racialization of education under the umbrellas of critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. We told our readers and anyone who would listen that these ideologies set students against each other. They set students against their parents, against their own country, and against Israel and Jews. On October 7th, 8th, and 9th, and beyond, the putrid hate generated by these ideologies spewed forth on campuses, shocking the nation. Our readers were probably not shocked. I wish we had been wrong, but we were right. And we didn't just warn people, we documented more deeply than anyone else with facts and data. It's what Legal Insurrection has been doing, the blog, for 15 years. And uh, their foundation, which is coming up on a five-year anniversary, this is what they do. They say, we launched criticalrace.org three years ago. It was a project of the Legal Insurrection Foundation with interactive maps that now cover more than 700 schools from higher ed to elite K-12 to medical schools to veterinarian schools to business schools to the military service academies. It's all documented with source links and archived links for every single piece of data. We knew, our readers knew, now the nation knows, and there are increasing calls to dismantle and eliminate the DEI industrial complex. And then there was this. Progressives are worried that it seems some of their uh, comrades are drifting to the right. I actually just saw somebody today <laughs> express surprise that some lefty guy named Krasenstein or something came out and said, and he's a lefty, and he came out on Twitter and he, was, he said something like, um, he, doesn't think, he doesn't think trans uh, should be, like a, a dude should not be 
competing against women in the in college athletics. And lefties are like, I did not have that on today's bingo card where Krasenstein or whatever his name is has come out as you know full-blown anti-trans or something like that. But people are because what happens is initially, and there was a really good documentary on what happened at Evergreen College, which was sort of like the first real blow-up of like the DEI-inspired, critical race theory-inspired um, efforts that, like, they, they, I mean, they went all in. This is where Brett Weinstein came from and Heather Heyer, I think is, I think is her name. Anyway, his wife. Um, and they were, they, they, they were forced out. They were professors, liberals, who were forced out. And... He, they talk about in this documentary, which is a couple of years old now, but they, they talk about how um, at first, like, nobody wanted to speak up in public. None of these liberal professors wanted to speak up because they didn't want to get targeted. But that's how that happens. That's how it happens. And then eventually you get this whole movement and everybody just gets swept up in it. It's like a contagion. Um, let's see here. A couple of, uh, emails to Pete at the Pete calendar show.com. This one from Tim who says, uh, regarding gen X beliefs, see what happens when they let progressives slash communists into the school system to indoctrinate the kiddies time to eliminate the public school system. See, this is the thing. This is not, this is the, uh, this is not the instigation, right? The, the conservative quote unquote, it's not even just con- conservative anymore. The pushback against these, these aggressions Right? They are the reaction to the instigation. Right? That's what that's what you're now seeing. And all the stuff like the, the pushback on the books in the libraries and stuff, right? They are not the aggressor. The right is not the aggressor. It is the Marxists. It, it it's the, the again, because remember, the, the issue is never the issue. So gender queer theory and all of that stuff, it, that's not the issue. The issue is the tearing down of the Western civilization, the tearing away at the the, the foundations of Western enlightenment because it has to be torn down for Marxism to work, quote unquote, right? You've got to dismantle all of these, uh, these components. Education is one of them. Art is another. The family unit, the nuclear family is another one. John Sexton, he, I had not heard, uh, heard this, uh, this term, but have you ever heard of uh, O'Sullivan's first law? Have you ever heard of this? O'Sullivan's first law? John O'Sullivan, back in 1989, said, all organizations that are not actually right-wing will, over time, become left-wing. And he cited the ACLU, the Ford Foundation, and the Episcopal Church. The reason is because... The people who staff such bodies tend to be the sort who don't like private profit, business, making money, the current organization of society, and by extension, the Western world. That's O'Sullivan's first law. I had never heard of that before I read this by John Sexton at hotair.com. And Sexton says he thought of that, that law when he read the article from a left-wing magazine slash website called In These Times. And the headline on it is Losing the Plot, The Leftists Who Turn Right. And it examines a trend in which people who were once clearly on the left have drifted to the right. And he cites Glenn Greenwald, 
Max Blumenthal, Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks, Dave Chappelle, Roseanne Barr, Russell Brand, RFK Jr., Naomi Wolf. All of these were, you know, people that were at least, Bill Maher probably on there now too. And as the website sees it in these times, the way the lefties see it, all of these defectors are motivated by a false belief that the woke left is gaining strength and taking over portions of the world. Right? That's their that that's what they think they think it's a that these lefties who are, you know, becoming righties that they're doing so because they believe falsely that wokeism is is getting out of control. And the the uh the website publication says such is the illusion cast by libs of TikTok for example that uh the video account right uh all she does is take videos that liberals post lefties they post of themselves and that and she just posts it up and then you know people laugh at them <laughs> which scours social media for foolish statements they do exist to decontextualize and amplify if you silo yourself in that rabbit hole, it's easy to believe the most caricatured expressions of wokeness are overrunning our schools. It is a very online thing. But John Sexton says this is the weak spot in their line of thinking. It has been the weak spot in the left's thinking about the woke left for like a decade now. It started with downplaying and denying that there was even this anti-liberal extremism. That it even existed, right? Critical uh, critical race theory isn't even taught in schools. Remember that? They're just, uh, it's just a handful of people on a couple of college campuses, right? Eventually, as it becomes clear that it's everywhere, those denials get harder to make. Then there were the denials that this extremism was having any kind of an impact on the Democrat Party's appeal. That argument seemed to end with the disaster of defund the police, right? And then Democrats had to walk back that is still trying to salvage, uh, you know, a soft or, you know, that we're not soft on crime. We don't want to defund the police, even though they were totally down with defunding the police for a minute when all of the woke left mobs were chanting for it. As usual, the left has confused the right's response. They think that the right has started this culture war. That's what they argue. But again, The right's reaction is just that. It's a reaction to the instigation. Over at the New York Times, Michelle Goldberg, she's got her own explanation. (laughs) She says, I think there's a deeper problem, which stems from a crisis of faith in the possibility of progress. Oh, that's it. Yeah. We're just afraid of progress. Liberals and leftists have lots of excellent policy ideas, but rarely articulate a plausible vision of the future. I sometimes hear leftists talk about our collective liberation, but outside a few specific contexts, like Palestinians come to mind, but I mostly have no idea what they're even talking about. It's easy to see what various parts of the left want to dismantle. Capitalism, the carceral state, heteropatriarchy, the nuclear family. It's much harder to find a realistic conception of what comes next. Again, this is written by a lefty. Talking about, like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm on board, I'm on board, but, you know, where's the end zone? And what have I been asking, right? This is what I always ask in these types of uh, arguments. Like, what does success look like? What's the destination? You can't just keep saying forward and progress because at some point you should arrive at wherever it is you're trying to get, right? 
John Sexton points out, again, defund the police comes to mind. The general idea was that police were the problem and we'd all be better off with fewer of them. Eventually, we'd find some new solution to the old problems of crime and violence. At least that's what we were told by the promoters of this idiocy. But we never did. What we got was a spike in shootings and violence until mayors and city councils, who before had signaled approval for defunding, quietly reversed course. Dismantling capitalism, eliminating the nuclear family, would be the same, only infinitely worse. If progressives want to ignore the oversimplification and the problems that come with these slogans, and they want to just like ignore that there's a reason why people are leaving leftism, that's fine by me. More for our side. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.